feel like that's, that's it right there in Christ alone. If we, if we got that, I, I don't think we need anything else here tonight. I don't, I don't know what I could add to that. I appreciate that. I'm just so thankful that it is in Him alone, not just for our salvation, but to keep our salvation. I don't know about you, but man, if it was up to me to hold on to this, whew, I mess this thing up every day. I mean, I'm so thankful that it's in Him alone. And so praise the Lord for that. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. This is my first time on the new Wednesday format. And so, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And so, no, no, we'll be uh, time conscious here today. Daniel chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 29. If you remember, um, here has been a couple weeks since we've been together on a Wednesday uh, with me, and we're uh, in the series called Forget You, and so that's our focus here, is to forget you. Really, it's forget me for me, and forget you for you, uh, and so that's our thought as we, as we go through these things. But Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, the Bible says, At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, this being Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Well, the word was in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomever, whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till the hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're uh, thankful again always to be able to gather and worship you and praise you, and uh, even if just for nothing else than the remembrance that it's in you alone that we can be saved and be sustained, and uh, that this is all about you, and that our lives are meant to give you glory. Uh, God, might that be our thought here tonight. God, we do ask course, for your hand on all the many needs that are, are taking place here and on the lives that are in need of your healing and power and uh, protection. But right now we ask for your hand on this service and that it might be glorifying to you and a help to, to your people. Lord, we're thankful. We love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're probably um, aware of what's taken place here in Daniel chapter 4. We kind of, it's a fun passage we like. Uh, and of course, you're probably aware of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He's got a fun name to say. I feel like we just, this is a good name to say, Nebuchadnezzar. You ever, when you first read your Bible and you try to get the names down and it's Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, you know, you're always trying to get through it. You're never quite, we probably just say it that way because... That's the way we say it. it's probably not even close to right. 
Um, but we just like that, you know, and so he was the king of Babylon, and uh, we understand that that was an empire which effectively owned uh, the important part then of the world. Uh, in those days, the Middle East was the heart of civilization, uh, and Babylon owned it all. I mean, they had that whole portion there. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar at this time would have been the most powerful and important man on the planet. And we come to here, and as he's going out and, and conquering and, and gathering an empire and, and taking over, we see how he interacts with Israel, which is why in the Bible we hear uh, about him and of what's taken place there. And here we see as he's taken over and, and, and captivated uh, Israel there, uh, his attitude of all of that was that it was his own intelligence and power and might that allowed him to become what he was. Uh, he starts this passage by saying, it is, it's me, I'm the one that's built this. This is my house and it's, for, it's because of my power and it's for my honor and it's for my majesty. And in, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he was the man. He was king of the most powerful empire in the world on that day because he was awesome. That's his opinion of himself. And he had no idea at this point in time that a, it was a sovereign God that had raised him up for his own purposes. I mean, that was way over Nebuchadnezzar's head. He did not realize what was taking place in the world. Uh, in Jeremiah 27, we see that uh, in verse 6, where God lays out where he says, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And Nebuchadnezzar at this point did not realize that actually behind all of what was taking place in the landscape of the world, that it was really God's hand that had raised up an empire with Nebuchadnezzar at the head to judge his people. That's way over Nebuchadnezzar's head. He don't get that at all. He thinks he's the man, and that's why all of this is taking place. And the reality was that this had nothing... Where he was today, if we understand, him as the king of the, the most powerful empire had nothing to do with who Nebuchadnezzar was. Not at all. It was irrelevant who he was. This, in other words, what's taking place here, and it's an amazing thing that we get from the biblical picture. Outside of the biblical picture, historically, you just read about these empires and what took place, and this king arose, and uh, his brother stabbed him in the back and took over the throne, and this happened, and then they got greedy, and the empire fell, and another took it. I mean, from the, from the historical standpoint, that's all we see. From God's standpoint, we get to see that God said, all of this happened because I decided it needed to. It's amazing that way, that God, uh, because of uh, what he's trying to accomplish in the world to showcase himself through the nation of Israel, actually raises up Babylon for his purposes. In other words, what's taking place here is not Babylon's party at all. Nebuchadnezzar was not in charge here. This was a God in heaven working according to his will. Now, normally, God is not troubled by silly mortals' inflated self-importance. 
Normally that does not bother him. If it did, most of us would be dead. You with me? Normally he does not take action when we think we're more important than we really are. But here he did. And you, and you think about this, I mean, to, as, from God's perspective, it's as if uh, we even get a picture of his hand where he says he can hold the universe in the span of his hand and his might and his power. And to think of how small and, and insignificant we are to his, his glory and his majesty, we don't pose a threat. So when, we're, when we think we're amazing, it does not threaten him, you know. You, you maybe, you've got a spider maybe at home in your garage right now that really, really thinks it's his house. As long as he stays in the garage in the corner underneath a cardboard box, you don't care what he thinks. You with me? You're not going to bed at night thinking, I hope there's not a spider in there that thinks he owns this place. You don't care. You don't think about it one bit does not bother you. But now if that spider makes a web in the wrong place, you with me? You go to bed at night and there's a spider web on the, on the windowsill above your bed, all of a sudden now it's a different, it's a different situation. Now somebody needs to know who owns the house. So you go, you get your salt gun. You with me? You seen one of those? Those things are sweet. We got one, Lincoln got one for Christmas, a little gun. You put salt in it, you cock it. You go up and you just, I mean, vaporize them. They're gone, right? And if the spider makes a web where he does not belong, if he gets annoying enough to you, he's got to get vaporized. That's how it goes. You got to break out the salt gun. And while God is not normally threatened, he's not normally upset, really, or even troubled at the thought of those that would uh, have this inflated self-importance that they would think they're in charge, this time God thinks this needs to be addressed. And God thought it necessary here to teach Nebuchadnezzar this lesson. Maybe it's because God knew that Nebuchadnezzar would eventually come to understand the truth. Uh, we don't know. But so God sends this dream to him and carries it out in which Nebuchadnezzar loses all sense of himself. And he can function as nothing more than an animal. The great and mighty king of the largest empire in the world was now eating grass in the field naked. That's what he's reduced to. And God comes and he intentionally, although he doesn't have to, it's really an awesome story because uh, he doesn't have to institute himself here or, or put himself in the place where he proves who he is, but he does. And God proves to Nebuchadnezzar and, and to us in turn by writing it down that nobody is outside or above his authority. That's an important point, really. He is the sovereign. He is the authority. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Uh, he declares that every knee will bow before him and recognize his supremacy and his greatness. That will take place. Uh, it's, it's an amazing thought when you think about it because we all walk around in this world, and especially those that don't know him, as if we're important, as if we did something here, as if we're the one pulling the strings. I mean, in every way that we talk about the world and society and all that's taken place, 
we talk about it like we're the ones in charge. You with me? We got to save this planet. Because if we don't, I mean, it's done. We're in, this is our planet. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be mindful of the planet. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying it's actually not our planet. <laughs> we're not in charge here. We're not the ones in control here. One day every soul will be humbled before an almighty God. One day all of those that mock him and make fun of him uh, and, and flaunt their sin, one day they will vehemently apologize for it. You with me? That will happen. There will be nobody at that day that will stand up and go, I don't care what God thinks. Oh, on that day, they will absolutely be sorry. Their knees will be bowed and they will be, I mean, they'll be apologizing. And God on that day will get glory for all the things that man has prided themselves in. As we've prided ourselves in our ability to go to space on that day, He'll receive glory for all that he made in space. All of it will be revealed. And nobody will go, man, isn't it awesome how we built a telescope and looked at it? No. no. It's not what's going to happen. And we go, man, we were able to see the Adam. On that day, he will receive glory for his ability to speak and make things so complex we could never even fathom them. That's what's going to happen on that day. It will, be, it will even be revealed that every time that mankind thought they were rebelling against him, he used even that for his glory. That even when mankind thought, well, I hate God, I'm going to do opposite. And he used that even for his glory and for his good. I mean, it's amazing the, the level of power and authority and glory that he'll receive when it's all said and done. There will be no doubt left over how awesome God is and how incredible his power is and how complete and supreme his authority is. And God thought it fit here to teach Nebuchadnezzar that lesson. And as you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar finally gets the picture. In verse 34 it says, And at the end of days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are, as, are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and my brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom. An excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase." Nebuchadnezzar, and maybe this is exactly why God decided that he was going to come blast this spider, is because he knew he would get the picture eventually. But eventually Nebuchadnezzar comes to himself and realizes, oh yeah, I am totally not in charge of this at all. And he goes, this is entirely God. This is entirely him. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are nothing, he says. The people that lift themselves up, me assuming as I'm the, the greatest in this empire of the world, I'm nothing compared to God. He's in charge. In fact, he goes, what kind, he says it this way, what kind of ridiculous is it that somebody would say to God, what are you doing? He goes, nobody can tell God that. Nobody can ask God what he's doing or, or, or act as if they have any say over the mind and direction of what God wants to do. And I want to take just a few minutes here tonight for us to maybe learn a lesson from Nebuchadnezzar. We don't think of Nebuchadnezzar as some great man of faith in the Word of God. If we were to list maybe great men of faith that really understood who God was, I don't think any of us would go, Nebuchadnezzar. But I think he, uh, I think he had a pretty good picture of who God was. Because at the end of his days, he goes, I'm going to praise and glory and extol him and understand that even the proud he's able to abase. And there's a lesson in all of that for us. Because I think as we go through in our lives, as we think about uh, all that's happened and all that's taken place, and uh, we tend to have the habit of priding ourselves in our successes. And what's even amazing as a believer, and I don't know if you've done this, I'm sure you have, I have, uh, we pride ourselves in our spiritual successes. We maybe take pride in the fact that our families are uh, or maybe in church or serving the Lord or doing good or together or our marriage hasn't failed or our kids are okay. Uh, uh, sometimes we take pride and we, we lift ourselves up as in, uh, about the good things that our church has done or that our church is. And it's so amazing how we look at ourselves and we act as if we're the ones who picked us up out of the mire. Isn't that, the, isn't that the weirdest thought? That we were destitute, dirty, rotten sinners that had no ability to be anything else. And the only way that we could ever be free from the chains of sin is that he would save us and set us free. I mean, we even read and recite the verses where he says, He picked us up out of the mire and of the clay and set our feet upon a rock. And then we go about and we go, you guys see how like, righteous I am? Isn't that, isn't that pretty awesome? We go to other people, man, you missed a Wednesday service. I haven't, I haven't missed a Wednesday service in like eight years. Come on. Why don't you, get, why don't you be more like me? As if, as if you had anything to do with it. You with me? If it was up to you, you'd be still destitute in your sins. It has nothing to do with you. You said, well, yeah, but I, uh, I called out to him great. You're awesome. You know that even that was because he pursued you and his spirit spoke to your spirit that you wouldn't have even done that had it not been for him wooing and drawing you to himself. How silly is it that we would pride ourselves in our own spiritual success? It's like not even you that did that. We talk about our families and, and we act like it's by our own greatness that our family is blessed. 
like you're just the, you're, you're such an amazing husband. That's why your family has stayed together, right? You're the perfect wife. That's why other marriages have failed and yours hasn't, right? We maybe need to realize a little bit about what Nebuchadnezzar came to realize. That maybe there's a lot more of all of the greatness and all of the glory and all of the things that are we praise God for. Maybe a lot of that has to do like maybe more with him than it does with us. And it's amazing. And we come to, come to church and we think it's because of our efforts that Wooden Valley has been blessed. Are we kidding? It, I mean, we call this God's church. Who's the one that's in charge here? Who's the one that's sustained it? Who's the one that's protected it? That tragedy could have befallen at any time. And we even think of how delicate this is here. I mean, really, think about it. And I don't mean to scare anybody, but we're, we're one bad summer away from never being able to pay the bills here. You know what I mean? We better not forget that. We're one lawsuit away from this ain't existing no more. You know what I mean? This is not because of our greatness, it's because of his. And what Nebuchadnezzar came to realize, and we ought to really grasp and comprehend, is that it's all God. He's the one that deserves the glory. If you're better today than you were yesterday, if your family has been blessed and is strong, it's only because of his power and his goodness. We need to get over ourselves because God could drop us back off in the mire if it pleased him. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. We better recognize that no person has made Wooden Valley Baptist Church anything. God hasn't blessed here because of the faithfulness of Pastor Farinella. He hasn't blessed here because of the musical genius of Lamar. He hasn't blessed here because of my baldness. I don't know what I, I don't really know what I bring to the table here, but <laughs> it's not because of any of us that God has blessed. It's because God saw fit to show his glory and his power and his salvation to a group of people. This is about him and it's for him. The fact that there's a church here is not to glorify any man. That's not the point here. And we need to forget us and recognize that it's God that's in charge and it's God that demands and recognizes and deserves the glory. This is why God draws nigh to the humble and rejects the proud in James 4. Because you can't steal God's glory for yourself and expect Him to be okay with it. There's such an important point is because we walk around and maybe we come to church or we're in our families or, uh, or we get on social media and we talk about it in our lives and we act as if we're the ones that have done all of these good things, as if we're the ones that deserve the glory for all of this. And then we go, God, come through for us. And God's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. If it's your show, it's your show. You know, we can't, we can't expect God to, to uh, uh, succumb to our whims. In other words, when we start thinking this is our house, we're asking for the salt gun. 
And we have to make a habit of allowing God to be in charge. Whether that's in our lives, in our families, in our church, we have to make a habit of saying God's the one on the throne. This is for his glory. He's the one in charge. He's the one that calls the shots. This is for him. This is about him. And if anything goes right, it's because his power and sovereignty and authority allowed it to. Not because we're awesome. I don't know about you, but I, I often think, and I was thinking about it just with even studying for this message and just asking God to forgive me for how often I ask God why. I mean, when you start to realize, and, and you realize what God tried to show Nebuchadnezzar and who he declares himself to be in his word, what a ridiculous thought that we would ever come to God and go, God, why? The answer is, because I'm God. He doesn't owe me an explanation. There's nothing that I can come to God and go, God, why did you allow it to be this way? And God owes me some kind of... He's God. He gets to decide. I go, well, God, I don't like how you treated me. It's not your planet. Deal with it. You go, well, God, I don't like how this situation fell onto me. I just, I don't think that's fair. No, what's fair is that you were in hell. Who do you think is in charge here? Who do you think calls the shots? Who are we to tell God it shouldn't be like this? He's the one that gets to decide that. I mean, think of even our, our verbiage and our terminology when we come to church and we come to church and we go, God, would you show up in this service? Now, I can't tell you how many times I've said that. Can I tell you this, though? God does not show up to anybody else's event. I want you to think about that. We, we don't get to have our church service and then invite God to it. That's not how that works. Are you with me here tonight? You don't invite him. We say, we use the terminology, but you don't invite him into your life. We say that all the time. That's not how it works. It's not your life that he gets the invitation to. It's not your church that you invite him to. God's not some puppy dog that he's going to follow you around in your purposes and your desires. And your, that's not how this works at all. The invitation is for us to join him. You understand? Luke 14, 23. It, it, we won't go and read the whole parable, but this is the idea that there's this, there's this marriage supper. And he's saying, go out there and bid them to come in, he says. The Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Do we understand it's his house? This is his church. It's his salvation. It's his will. It's his game here. You join him. You want to be saved. It's you that goes to him. You join him. He's, he's inviting you to his marriage party, not the other way around. Man, if we want to have a church service where he's a part of it, we better come to his service. Man, what a, what a silly thing it is that we would design our own desires and our own wills and have a church service that meets all of our desires and, and tickles our ears and then say, God, would you show up? 
And God says, no, 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 I'm having my service over here. You can come, but I'm there. I'm the God. I'm the sovereign. I'm the king. I'm the Lord. You join me, not the other way around. And we got to be careful. I'm not saying we need to change all of our terminology, but I just want to say, if we're begging God to show up, we better make sure that we're at the right event. Amen. You can either join what God is trying to do, or if we want to stay true to the passage, you can go eat grass. But God's not going to follow you around and join your life. I think about maybe even our seniors and our teenagers and who have plans for their future. And what a, I, I, I'm burdened for every young person that goes out and they, they set their course for their life and they do whatever they want to do and they've got their desires and, uh, and their aspirations that they're going to go achieve. And they get 10 years down the road and they go, well, where's God? He left me. No, no, you left him. You don't get to do whatever you want and then beg God to tag on. He's not going to follow you around like a puppy dog. You join him. He's made his purposes clear, his will known. He's the God you follow, not the other way around. And as we come to the point here, as we understand that God wants to be the one to receive glory, and he wants to be the one that's obeyed and he wants to be the one on the throne of your life that means what he's told us is like not up for debate this is kind of where it's easy to say oh yeah god's in control and he's the sovereign and he's yeah god's the one in charge it's a different thing to live that way i even think of matthew 28 and if you understand as, as he goes into verse 18 as this is some of the last words that Jesus is going to speak to his disciples. And in verse 18, he says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Uh, do you see how he introduces this particular passage? As he introduces this thought, he says, All power is given unto me. Uh, this word power has the, the understanding of authority, of rulership, of sovereignty. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm in charge here. I'm God in the flesh. I'm speaking as the authoritative, omnipotent, sovereign God. So the words that follow this are not up for debate. You with me here tonight? That Jesus intentionally said, listen, I want to open this statement with the understanding that I'm that same God that Nebuchadnezzar was made submissive to. I'm that same God that has all the, I'm the creator. When I speak and I say that something is, it's because it is, because I'm God. All power is given unto me. I'm in charge of it all. So the next statement that follows is not a question. It's not a maybe. It's not a if you feel like it. You with me? When you come to your kids and you say, hey, listen, and you grab him by the face. Do you understand that I am the parent and you are the child? Now listen to me. You better hope that they understand that the next words are not <laughs> up for debate. You with me? And that's what Jesus is doing here. He says he's in charge. And he says this. Go ye therefore... 
and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. And we have to understand that if God's people, the disciples of Jesus Christ, understand the power and authority of God, even a fraction as much as Nebuchadnezzar did, then these words are unquestionable commands. They're not up for debate. There's something so fundamentally wrong with our view of God when we think this is optional. Jesus says, listen, I'm in charge. I have the authority. I have the power. And the one with supreme authority says it's your job to go out and make disciples. That's what he said. I don't know if you're with me here so far tonight, but he says, listen, I have the power, I have the authority, therefore you go out and invest in people. You give them the gospel, you teach them to follow the Lord. Uh, You invest in them, you make disciples. In other words, that there ought to be people that are saved today because of what you've done. There ought to be. That's his command. He says, all power is given to me. Do you understand who I am? Go preach the gospel. He says, there ought to be people today that have been taught and discipled by you that are in church today because of the investment and love that you poured into their life. There ought to be. He says, these aren't optional. All power is given unto me. Do this. He says, it's, your, it's the purpose and mission of what I've given you as the supreme being with all authority that you go showcase and pour my love into other people to give them the gospel and to show them how I want them to live so that they might do the same for others. He says, that's the purpose. That's what I have for you. And what a ridiculous thing it is that we would go, if I feel like it. Who are we kidding? What an insane thought that is. That God would say, you go pour my love into other people and invest in them and show them how they could be saved and teach them to follow me and uh, that their families might be helped, that their lives might be changed, that they might know that I love them, that I might use them too. And we would go, if I have time. And God would go, what? No, you missed the first part. All power is given unto me. I'm in charge, not you. This is not optional. We get so busy often in our lives defending all the things we have a right to do. You know, you you ask somebody, hey, I missed you at Sunday night service, and they go, whoa, 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 are you saying I don't have the right to miss a service and be a Christian? I go, whoa, no, no, you do. I'm not, I'm just saying I missed you. (laughs) Relax. You invite somebody out to visitation, and they go, Like that even works. Are you telling me I'm not a Christian if I don't hang flyers on doors? What is the deal? We get so busy defending all the things we have a right to do. We justify all the things that keep us from investing in people's lives. 
Man, we talk about how we have to work 80 hours a week to, to supply all the things that we have. And, uh, and then, of course, we have to take the vacations from that work because we got to and we're going to be gone. And uh, we have to have our hobbies and my me things and the things that I love to do. And I'm just going to miss every other Sunday because I have to lift a tire or whatever it is we do. You know what I mean? I'm not making fun of CrossFitters if you're into that. I am a little bit. We have, all of, we have to maintain this 2019 American way of life. And our attitude is always, I'm going to do these things. And God, if you want to join me, I'm good with that. And we don't even understand that that's not at all how this works. We don't do our life and do whatever we feel like and maintain our life and whatever standard of living we desire and follow our goals and our aspirations and then say, God, if you want to tag along, I'm good with that. That's not how it works. And he's not going to do that. I can't tell you how many Christians are discontented because they go, God, God left me. No. You did whatever you wanted to do and you expected him to be a puppy dog and follow you? That's not how it works. We say, I have a life to worry about and maintain. And listen, God says it this way. You don't understand. Everything in your life is because of my hand. In other words, you don't have to maintain anything. You simply have to obey. I don't know if you realize this, but that's such a freeing thought. Do you know how stressful it is to just try to maintain everything in your life? Do you know what? I mean... To think that my money and my family and my spirit and my church is all under my control and I have to fix all of this. Can I tell you, that's the kind of person I am. I am totally the control person where if something's wrong, i got to make it right. And I'm constantly stressed because a church, if no, no, somebody's got to fix this and nobody's going to, and if I don't, nobody will. And my life is like this and my family, i got to fix this and... Uh, there was that weird feeling in my chest the other day, and like that, I probably need to do something about that. I, and we get all of those things where we think, I've got to fix all... You know what's awesome? You don't have to do anything about any of that. You're not even in control of that. Not even a little. <laughs> what you have to do, your only job, your only purpose, your only duty, is to obey. And what falls because of that obedience is in the sovereign's hands. You know how freeing that is? That means if something does befall you, you go, it's okay because I know it's, it's according to his will. He's in charge. It's fine. Whatever he desires to come to pass will. The purpose of all of what God is trying to show Nebuchadnezzar is that as he follows whatever path it is that God has laid out, that his job is simply to recognize his place. To fall into line and obey the sovereign and know that God's hand is in control. And we as a church, we're in a different situation. But Jesus came and said, hey, listen, all power is given unto me. You need to understand I'm in control. And the mission that I've given to you, not up for debate, not optional, is that you would go make disciples. You and I don't get to say, I don't have time for that. That's not how it works. We don't get to say, well, that interferes with my goals. 
No. He's in control. If you want to eat grass, go ahead. But he's in control. He says, all power is given unto me, so go. Be a part of the mission that I've given you. Love others, invest into their lives, give them the gospel, teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded them. Do that because I'm in charge. And we need to be a church and we need to be believers that kind of get off of this, uh, this philosophy in Christianity that says, I obey if it's okay with me. I obey if it fits my ideology. I obey if it's in my schedule. I run my life and God can join if he wants to. That's not Christianity. Christianity says, if, if my whole life falls by the wayside, he's in charge. He's the one that matters. He's the one that receives glory and honor. He's the one that my life is for. And so I don't get to say why. I don't get to say no. I don't get to say I don't like that God. You know what? And I'll quit here in just a second. But I'm so thankful that there were others that didn't say they didn't have time to spread the gospel for me. You understand what I'm saying? There were those that took time and invested their lives into me and discipled me and those that that were willing to share the gospel when I got saved. And I'm so thankful that they weren't the type that said, I've got my own life, and if God wants to join, okay. But otherwise, I don't care. Man, might we be the people that know enough about who God is that if he says it's time to go, it's time to go. If he says it's time to spread the gospel, it's time to spread the gospel. That's all there is to it. Might we recognize that he's the one in charge, not us. It's his show. It's his party. We join him. Stand to our feet and bow our heads tonight.